Good morning. Merry Christmas to all of you on this Lord's Day. My name is Pastor Victor. I'm the outreach pastor here. And I don't know about the rest of you, but it feels like Christmas is coming upon us very fast and it's like we're playing catch up, right? Thanksgiving came kind of late and then now we're just trying to catch up. So praise God that we can have this opportunity as a church family to gather together to pause, to stop, to reflect, and to worship our God. Amen? Amen. Why don't we all rise for the reading of God's word? This morning we'll be reading out of Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1, and we'll go to, through verse 7. So this is Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the reading of God's word. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, with, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. Verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You may have a seat. Well, this morning I wanted to begin with a question. What do you want? What do you really want? Now, it's not necessarily what do you want for Christmas, although I'm sure each of you have thought about that. And so this season allows us to think, what do we really want? What do you want? Take a moment to think about that. I'm not gonna ask for answers, right? But I want you to be honest. No Sunday school answers, just be honest. What do you really want? As I thought about this, I recall as a child that what I really wanted, what I really longed for, what I really wished for was often something unattainable at that moment. For instance, when I was around eight or nine, what I really wanted was the original Game Boy. Okay, this, it's about this thick, right? It's got a green screen. And in 1991, it cost $89.99. That was a lot of money back then. For me, that's why it was on my wish list. It was, it was unattainable, right? So what is it that you really want? something unattainable at this moment. And as I continue to reflect upon it, as we grow older, 
as we start to work and we have jobs, maybe what we really want becomes less material, right? Because honestly, as we work, if we really wanted to, we could just buy it, right? And so as we think about what we really want, it's not just something unattainable. As we have money and the means, we might be able to buy something material. But it's still something we think of that, we, that will fulfill us, that will better our situation. And so for some of us, maybe it's relational. Maybe what we really want is a significant other. Maybe what we really want is a spouse. Maybe what we really want is a child. Maybe what we really want is a grandchild. Or maybe what we really want is to make a difference, right? Significance. So we want a career. Or maybe we want financial security, and so we want a promotion. Right? We want maybe comfort, and so we want a new house. What is it? What is it that we want? Maybe some of us, it's more higher level. Maybe it's more broad. Maybe it's, a, it's an end to extreme poverty. Maybe it's an end to slavery, human slavery. Maybe it's an end to abortion. Maybe it's better care of God's creation. What is it? What is it that you really want? Well, this morning, I'm going to make an argument from the Bible that we all want the same thing. We all want the same thing, no matter what age we are, from the beginning until now, we all want the same thing. And I believe it's very clear, okay? Some of you might be thinking, no. Okay, I want the latest iPhone. I want the Nintendo Switch. I want that latest outfit. But at the core of our desires, I believe the Bible is clear. We all want the same thing. So turn with me. We're going to go way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Let's discover what we really want. What we all really want. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. What do we really want? First, all we've really wanted, all we've ever really wanted was God's deliverer. All we've ever wanted was God's deliverer to deliver us from evil, to rescue us from evil. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 beginning with verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. All the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now this account comes right after the fall. God had just created all of creation. He created man and woman, Adam and Eve, to reign over a creation, right? Everything was perfect. God said you could eat from anything, any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, here comes a serpent. And serpent, agent of evil, we believe to be Satan. And the serpent offers an opportunity to Eve to be like God. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. The serpent tempts Eve. You eat this, you'll be like God. And so what does Eve do? She eats it. What does Adam do? He eats it. Sin enters the world, right? And everything is lost. And immediately, they experience shame, they experience guilt, and blame, right? Now think about it. Adam and Eve had everything. They had everything. Everything they could ever want. And they lost it. They lost it. And here, in verse 14, God curses the serpent. But in this curse, we find a promise, a promise, a key promise. In verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, your seed, and her seed, her offspring. He shall bruise or crush your head. You shall bruise his heel. In this curse is a promise, a promise that Adam and Eve will cling on to, a promise that God's people will cling on to generations after generations after generations. Why? This is a promise that there will be a deliverer, a descendant of Eve, a seed of Eve who will come, who will crush the head of the serpent, yet be bruised and get rid of evil and bring things back to how they were meant to be. And if you think about this, this is all Adam and Eve ever wanted. But if you really think about it, this is all we've ever wanted. All we've ever wanted was God's deliverer. Now, you might not be convinced, right? You said, no, I mean, what I really want right now, Pastor Victor, is the latest tech or that latest outfit. But if we think about Adam and Eve, enter into their situation, Adam and Eve, they didn't need the latest tech. They for sure didn't need the latest outfit, all right? They were naked. They had everything they needed. They had each other to reign over creation. They had God right there. They could walk with them, take a walk, uh, an afternoon stroll in the cool of the day. There was no sin. There was no sadness, there was no death, there was no sickness, there was no violence. They were in paradise and it was lost. And all they wanted was for things to go back the way it was supposed to be. All they wanted was somebody to come crush the head of the serpent because that's what they were supposed to do. That's what Adam was supposed to do. They wanted somebody to crush the head of the serpent, rid the world of evil, and bring things back the way they were supposed to be. 
And for generations again, God's people would hold on to this promise. As sin would run rampant in the world, they longed for the day when the sin of man would be reversed. And if we really search our hearts, if we really look deep within, that's all we've ever wanted to. I mean, think about it. Why are superhero movies all the craze today? Okay? Now, you, may, you yourself may not like superhero movies, but it seems like the whole world likes superhero movies. Why is that? It's because we long for that out-of-the-world good to overcome an evil that seems so overwhelming. We root for good to overcome evil. We want that to happen. We want light to overcome darkness. And if we're honest, we're tired of the headlines. We're sad when we read about the tragedies, the terrorist attacks, the mass shootings. We're angry when we hear of oppression. We're angry when we hear of children being sold into slavery. More slaves today than ever combined in history. We long for a world without sin. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world where we don't struggle with sin, where we don't struggle with temptation, where we're not struggling and fighting for purity? Can you imagine that? A world without sickness, without death, without violence or abuse. This is what we want. Let's be honest. This is all we've ever wanted. All we've ever wanted was God's deliverer. To deliver us from evil and bring things back the way they were supposed to be. Next, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's continue to discover what it is that we really want. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in the latter part of verse 11. What do we really want? Well, we saw in Genesis chapter 3, what we really want, all we've ever wanted was God's deliverer. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11, we're going to see this. All we've ever wanted was God's king. All we've ever wanted was God's king to rule and reign over us. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, the latter part of verse 11. This is God, the Lord, speaking to King David. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. These were the words of God spoken to King David. Now, King David was the beloved king of Israel. 
Right? There was no king like him. He was handpicked by God. He was described by God as a man after God's own heart. King David was not perfect by any means. Right? He had multiple wives. That's a big no-no. He orchestrated the murder of a man. That's definitely a no. He had an affair with that man's wife. That is a big no. So King David was not perfect by any means. And yet his heart was continually for the Lord. He sought the Lord in humility and repentance. And King David would be the standard by which all the other kings of Israel and Judah would be judged. Okay, King David is the standard. Now you might ask, what's the big deal? How hard is it to find a king like David? Well, let's look at this chart. Okay, this chart is a chart of the kings that followed King David and his son Solomon. All right? What is in red, they're designated as bad kings. Okay? What is blue is designated as good kings. And what is kind of beige is, ah, it's kind of a mixed bag. Right? As you can see, okay, here's some, give you some more background information. After King David, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two, okay? You had Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, okay? Northern Kingdom, first column, all bad. There's one mixed bag. Northern Kingdom would collapse. Southern Kingdom of Judah, okay? You got some bad, you got a few good, some mixed, Southern kingdom would end with invasion and exile, okay? And so you can imagine, okay, God's people holding on to this promise made to David. What was the promise made to David? Well, King David wanted to build a house for God, a temple. And God said, no, but I will make you a house, meaning there will be a never-ending succession of kings that come from you, David, and you can imagine God's people saying, hey, where is a king like David? Where is a king after God's own heart? Where is any king for that matter? God's people would hold on to this promise and long for God's king, a king like David. And they would wait and they would ask and they would cry out, how long, how long, O God? Again, imagine, enter into that situation. Judah, right, the southern kingdom, is constantly under threat of invasion, right? The religious leaders are weak. The kings of that day, they trust in other military powers. They don't trust in God. And so the people, they long for a king like David. Now you might say, well, that's all fine and dandy, but we're not a monarchy here. We're not even a theocracy. We're a dem democracy, right? So what does this have to do with us? Why would we ever want a king? Well, guess what? We're God's people, right? We're to live out God's ways, and God is always to be our king. It's not our will, but his will be done. And if we're honest we are frustrated when our leaders do not follow God's will. They do not follow God's way. They make decisions that go contrary to God's ways. 
We're frustrated. Why is that? Why is that? And why are we so disappointed when the leaders of our day, whether in our churches or in our communities or in our nation, why are we disappointed when they fall to sin? Why are we frustrated when they do not follow God's ways? I believe it's because deep inside we long for God's leader, one who will lead us in God's ways, one who will lead with integrity, one who will be an example. What we're longing for is God's king. That's all we've ever wanted. So let's turn finally back to where we first read scripture, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, and let's bring it all together here, okay? What do we really want? What do we really want? In Genesis chapter 3, we saw all we've ever really wanted was God's deliverer. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we saw that all we've really wanted was God's king. Well, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, we realize and we'll see that it's one and the same person. All we've ever wanted was God's forever righteous deliverer, king. Okay, fill in the blanks here, connect the dots. All we've ever wanted was God's forever righteous deliverer, king. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This comes from the words of Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet, meaning he's the mouthpiece of God. He's a herald declaring the declarations on behalf of God. And Isaiah's ministry spans four kings. And in that time of Isaiah, again, he's a prophet to Judah, the southern kingdom. They're constantly under threat of military invasion, okay, foreign invasion. The religious leaders are weak. The political leaders, they don't trust in God, they trust in military alliances. And so Isaiah gives these words of hope here, okay? Isaiah gives these words of hope and he brings it all together. This is what we long for. This is what we hope for. This is what we're waiting for. And it's very interesting, okay? We'll discover, we'll piece it all together, we'll fill in the blanks, see if you can see it here. Verse six, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, I don't know about you, but I would never describe a mighty leader as a child or a son. It's very strange here. Why would Isaiah do this? Commentators believe that what he's pointing towards, a child, he's pointing to this leader's ancestry. A son, he's pointing to this leader's line in the kingly line, 
his place in the kingly line. And what this reminds us of, we were there in Genesis chapter 3, remember there would be a seed of Eve who would crush the head of the serpent, a descendant, a child. And so when we hear these words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, remember that promise made in the beginning. Well, let's go on. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. This speaks about a very mighty political leader talking about his reign, his rule, right? And his name shall be called. Here are some very interesting titles that are not commonly associated with any normal king. First, Wonderful Counselor. Now, let's just stop right there because wonderful, we definitely lose some of the impact in the translation in English. When we think of wonderful, we think of good, nice, gentle, kind. But this word wonderful, in the Hebrew, the emphasis is on wonder, meaning this is out of the world, this is supernatural, this is miraculous. This is like nothing we see among men. So there's an impact here of the word wonderful that we lose in the English. Think supernatural. Think miraculous. You're thinking of superhero. Think of that on that level. Counselor. What are we talking about here? We're talking about counsel, wisdom. And so you put wonderful counselor together. You think of a supernatural, godly wisdom, godly counsel, right, miraculous. And this contrasts the kings of that day who trusted in their own wisdom rather than in the wisdom of God. But this king would have a miraculous, supernatural wisdom that can only be attributed to God. The next title, Mighty God, Again, mighty is strong, but not just strong. We're talking military might. Again, this is in the day and age where it was all the foreign nations and the kingdom of Judah trying to match military might. They would make alliances. Whose army is stronger? And here we see, well, this king would be mighty, stronger than any earthly army. Next, this title, straight out, God. Okay, mighty God. People have tried to get around this by translating this godlike warrior. But it's unlikely that Isaiah would point to any God other than the one true God. But that does lead us to ask, why would you call any king God? Does it make sense? All right, just hold on to that. Next, everlasting Father, everlasting eternal, forever. There is no mortal man who is eternal or forever. This word everlasting is something only attributed to God. Everlasting father, this is very interesting. I thought this person was a son. How could this be a father too? What does this mean? Well, commentators believe father describes the role of this perfect leader. This leader, this king, would, should be a father to the fatherless, a protector of widows, a defender of the oppressed, the vulnerable, the poor, 
This king would not exploit the oppressed. Rather, he would defend them as a perfect, righteous king should. So everlasting father. Then we move to prince of peace. So interesting, we go from father to prince. Again, who are we talking about here? Right? How can you be a father and yet a prince? People have pointed out that prince harkens back to this person's line in the king, kingly line. Prince also has the same Hebrew root as government. Okay, so talking about this person's reign. But we get prince of peace. And peace is another word that does not translate well in English. Peace is a word that we might know among Jewish people. What is it? Shalom, right? And we know that shalom goes beyond just not fighting or not having wars. Shalom speaks of oneness, of wholeness, of being at peace with God and peace with one another. It means a return to how God intended things to be. That's shalom, right? It's a beautiful word. And here we have the prince of peace, the prince of shalom, which leads us to ask which earthly king can bring shalom to us. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end meaning that his kingdom, his reign, will continue to fill the earth. And his peace, that same word, shalom, will, there'll be no end. Again, we get the eternal forever language. That only points to God. And a shalom that goes throughout the whole earth. This is no ordinary king. This is no ordinary kingdom. Verse 7, going on, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. Here is the promise we see fulfilled. God's people longing for God's king, a king like David. Well, this king would follow in the line of David, and yet he would establish and uphold it forever. Let's go on with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Again, you get this language of eternal, never-ending but we find this king will be marked by justice and righteousness. And that means that this king will rid the earth of evil. Who does this remind us of? The promise of God's deliverer, right? Finally, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Zeal is a pure form of jealousy, meaning that God will act on behalf of his people. He will rise up. He will defend the interests of his people. Lord of hosts is a title. It's a military title. Lord of hosts. It's not the Lord of angels, chubby babies with wings. No, this is the Lord of angel armies. Armies of angels, warrior angels. Again, this contrast this speaks directly to that time where they were trusting in military armies. Well, look to the God of angel armies who is mightier than all. And he will do this. And so it's interesting. Isaiah brings it all together here. Okay, we see here the promise of God's deliverer. We see here the promise of God's king. And yet Isaiah introduces to us this king will be forever. And this king will be marked with righteousness. 
And so somehow, God's deliverer, God's king, one and the same person, and yet we have to change our answer here. All we've ever wanted, all we've ever wanted was the forever righteous deliverer, God king. All we've ever wanted was the forever righteous deliverer, God king. You see, Isaiah points out here that God's deliverer, God's king is not, they're not just one and the same person. Somehow, it's God himself. God himself. The God king. This is all we long for. This is all we want. Think about it. There is only one who came as a God-man. He was born as a child. He was given to us as a son. His kingdom has outlasted all the greatest empires of the world. Kids, study world history. You'll find that out. Empires fall, 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 but what continues to outlast all of them? Kingdom, right? And even with faced with persecution and death, this kingdom continues to grow. Supernatural, godly wisdom, check. Mighty to save, check. God himself, check. Everlasting father to the fatherless, yes. Prince of peace, we still can't describe it, right? It goes beyond comprehension in our hearts. And his, his kingdom will continue to grow until it covers the whole earth. Peace between God and man. Peace among each other. He is the greater David who reigns in righteousness, right, forever. The king to end all kings, the king of kings. He is the greater Adam who crushed the head of the serpent and was bruised for our iniquities. He died yet rose again. He reigns forever. His name is Jesus. And indeed, God did it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts did it. And you can imagine God's people longing, crying out, how long, O oh God, how long, where are you? Well, guess what? God came. He did it. He came. All we've ever wanted was a forever righteous deliverer, God, King. And he came. His name is Jesus. You know, there's a song that I think about this Christmas season. It was a song that I was introduced to in high school. And ever since then, I've attributed this season, this Christmas season, to this song. Okay, no, it's not all I wanted for Christmas is you, okay? It is, I'm going to read the, the lyrics to this song, okay? The song is called Grown Up Christmas List. And let me just read the chorus. Okay, so here's the chorus of this song. So here's my lifelong wish, my grown up Christmas list. Not for myself, but for a world in need. No more lives torn apart that wars would never start, and time would heal all hearts, and everyone would have a friend, and right would always win, and love would never end. No, 
This is my grown-up Christmas list. It's one of those feel-good songs, right? It's very dramatic, makes you feel good, right? But over, the, over time, I've found the words to be a little shallow, a little generic. I've dismissed it as such. I, it reminds me maybe of, a, you know, Miss America pageant, you know, where the contestant says, all I want is world peace and harmony among mankind. And if I'm being completely honest, as I've grown older, as I've traveled throughout the world, as I've encountered widespread poverty, as I've encountered corruption and darkness, I believe I've grown cynical and hardened towards this list. I believe I've maybe grown past this grown-up list. But as we saw this morning and as I was studying, I realized that even in this song, a perfectly non-religious song, we hear echoes of a deeper longing here, a longing for the God King. Right? Think about it. We all want oppression to cease. Right? We want peace between man and God, peace among others. Right? We want deep healing. We want significant, meaningful relationships. We long, along with Adam and Eve, for the day when right would always win. Amen? And for the true love of God to never end. And for the king, the God king, to forever reign. Uh, this is not just our grown-up Christmas list. This is all we've ever wanted. This is all we've ever hoped for. Maybe we've misplaced our desires. Maybe we've wished for it upon who knows what. But let's place our wish, our hope, in the sure and true king. This is all we've wanted. This is all we long for. This is all we want. And so let me end with a new grown-up Christmas list. Straight from the Bible, Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. And let me just close with this, okay? This is my new grown-up Christmas list. And this is all we've ever wanted. This is all we long for. This is all we're hoping for with the final coming of our king. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you so much that you have allowed us to gather together as a church family to pause, to reflect, to think about what we really want. 
And God, I thank you that all of our desires, our deepest longings, they end with you, Jesus. And I thank you that we can take hope because Jesus, if you came, that means you'll come again. And what we know in our hearts spiritually will be a reality for all to see. We long for that day. And if not, help us to long for that day. God, I pray for those of us who have been constantly searching. We've been searching. We've been searching. We've been searching for the right toy. We've been searching for relationships, and yet we come up empty each time. God, I pray that the search would end today, this morning, and that they would, we would discover it ends with you, Jesus. Help us to find our deepest longings fulfilled in you, Jesus. You died for our sins. You crushed the head of the serpent. You rid us of evil. And we long for when you will return things back to how they were meant to be. And so if that's some of you this morning, I encourage you to receive prayer. Also, if there's some of you today who just know in your heart that you've been searching in all the wrong places, Yes, you've given your life to Christ and yet your heart has been wandering. I encourage you to receive prayer that this day your heart can rest in Christ, in Christ alone. So we thank you, God. We thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.